SCP-5000. Why? The SCP Foundation is an organization cemented in its goal of using its considerable resources and capabilities to protect humanity from the anomalous. One of the questions we'll be looking at today, however, is what would happen if that same organization instead used those same resources and capabilities to destroy humanity? The other question is, of course, the one presented in the title of SCP-5000, and that's why. What would or could corrupt an organization so completely that they would betray everything they once stood for? Strap yourselves in. It's going to be a wild ride. Despite that buildup, SCP-5000 itself is pretty benign, with a safe object class kept in a standard storage unit. The object in question is a mechanical suit, currently broken, with its internal schematics identifying it as an absolute exclusion harness, designed by none other than the SCP Foundation. Based on what they can deduce, the suit, when functioning, would provide the wearer with a number of protective benefits, but currently it's only capable of basic file storage. It's the files contained in the suit's storage that we're really interested in. The suit first appeared in a flash of light, probably not unlike a Terminator's entrance, within the containment cell of SCP-579. 579 is a rather divisive SCP, since its entire description has been expunged from record, and the Foundation has pretty much given up on doing anything with it because it's incredibly dangerous. Whatever it is. Needless to say, it's worrisome that a random mechanical suit created apparently by the Foundation appeared in a place they prefer to leave well enough alone, but there's more. The suit, upon arrival, contained the corpse of a man who apparently died from hitting the ground after a long fall. The corpse is genetically identical to a Foundation employee named Pietro Wilson, who is currently working at an exclusionary site, a facility similar to SCP-3936 that is created using a technology making it immune to time or reality restructuring events. In other words, if the world were to undergo some sort of drastic change that altered history or the reality of the planet, the personnel inside an exclusionary site wouldn't be affected, allowing them to make note of the changes. The actual living Pietro was of course interviewed and prodded, but he has no knowledge of the suit or the info in its files. Speaking of the files, let's finally get to it. The first journal entry is from, of course, Pietro, who says that the date is currently January 2nd, 2020, and he's just escaped from the exclusionary site. Some individuals had entered the site and killed everyone else, thoroughly, but Pietro managed to make it to the suit, which kept him alive. The next entry goes into a bit more detail, as Pietro heads for a nearby Foundation safe house used by agents in this part of the country. He explains that things started about six or seven hours ago, when a mobile task force entered the exclusionary site with proper clearance, gathered everyone in the canteen, and started shooting. Pietro's just a technician for the site's power grid, so he's really not sure how the suit works, but its primary function makes it so that others can't recognize that they can perceive the wearer. In simpler terms, it functions sort of like an anti-memetic device, and it makes the wearer undetectable to others. 
As Pietro slipped out of the site, he noticed that the MTF weren't there to take anything, but just to kill everyone, putting an extra bullet in all the corpses. Pietro thinks at this point that it's possible the MTF was actually a group of infiltrators from the Chaos Insurgency, deep undercover, and as he makes his way to the safe house, he hears explosions in the distance, hoping that the Foundation sent in some teams to deal with them. Pietro is happy to find bottled water when he arrives at the safe house, as he apparently has been trudging through a desert, even though another function of the suit is to sustain the wearer's body. After resting, he boots up some of the computers at the safe house, and is quite shocked at what he finds. The SCP Foundation had sent a message to every government, news organization, and anomalous agency in the world. That alone would be pretty startling, but it's the content of the message that is really chilling. The message reads, The following is a message composed via consensus of the O5 Council. For those who are not currently aware of our existence, we represent the organization known as the SCP Foundation. Our previous mission centered around the containment and study of anomalous objects, entities, and other assorted phenomena. This mission was the focus of our organization for more than 100 years. Due to circumstances outside of our control, this directive has now changed. Our new mission will be the extermination of the human race. There will be no further communication. That's right, the Foundation declared war on humanity, but interestingly they had the decency to let us know first. The big question though is why? and all they said on the matter was because of circumstances outside of their control. Since the Foundation are pretty much the spitting image of control, it's rather puzzling, but we'll get to that. With the Foundation beginning their war, actively using the anomalies they previously contained, Pietro manages to find snippets of what exactly they're doing along the way. I'm going to have to explain a lot of other SCPs throughout this, so bear with me if you're already familiar with them. SCP-096 is an entity that relentlessly pursues anyone that sees its face until it slaughters them. The Foundation circulates a picture of its face on various social media platforms, causing it to tear across the globe until its photos were taken down. But it's likely still hunting. SCP-169 is a massive sea creature known as the Leviathan, believed to be thousands of kilometers in length. A large number of nuclear charges were detonated along its back, causing it to stir slightly in its sleep, which was enough to cause devastating earthquakes and tsunamis across the world. SCP-662 is a small bell that summons a butler named Mr. Deeds, who can carry out most tasks asked of it, usually anomalously. Over the course of the first 24 hours after the announcement, Mr. Deeds appeared near several major heads of states and assassinated them before disappearing. SCP-610, an extremely infectious and deadly disease that rapidly distorts living tissue, was released in many major cities, including New York and Delhi. It spreads quickly, but is eventually halted through the combined efforts of the GOC and the Church of the Broken God, who are not sharing the Foundation's new mission. SCP-682, the hard-to-destroy reptile, is simply released, which is bad enough. 
Next, we get some news footage of a reporter at an evacuation tent in Sweden, set up by the Global Occult Coalition. Patients are being treated by doctors in full protective gear, and the reporter repeats the GOC's orders to all residents that have not already evacuated, that they should seal themselves inside of their homes as quickly as possible. A doctor calls out to a nearby GOC soldier, telling them that a patient just died, and they should get the eraser ready. The reporter runs out of the tent into a field containing a number of similar tents. In the tent she just left, a loud buzzing sound can be heard, and several flashing lights can be seen. Thick smoke pours out of a gap at the top of the tent. The reporter recovers herself and continues, telling any residents still in a compromised area to keep a careful watch over those around them, and if any of them begin exuding a noticeable, minty smell, they are to be quarantined immediately. This is all very likely a reference to SCP-447, a small green sphere that exudes a greenish slime. The slime is edible, with a minty taste, and has various enhancing properties, but it's incredibly, horrifically dangerous if it ever comes into contact with a dead body. What exactly happens is expunged from the record, but it's bad enough that the GOC is working diligently to completely erase dead bodies from existence before it happens. Pietro muses that, with all of the supplies in the safe house and the exclusion suit, he could survive for years here, but he's conflicted between sitting there without knowing what's going on in the world, and not really wanting to know what's going on. He recounts a story from his youth when he was really into detective tales, and he set out to find what was knocking over his dad's potted plants. He set up a camera and found it was a stray cat, and his dad proceeded to kick it to death. He figures that everyone would have been better off if he had just minded his own business. In this situation, though, he'd rather do something than nothing, and with the exclusion suit, he can simply be a tourist at the end of the world. He leaves the safe house and heads towards Site-19, the nearest real Foundation facility, in search of answers. On the way, he manages to spy on a Foundation MTF in a clearing, lined up in a row, The commander of the team proceeds to pull out a knife and stab the first soldier in line in the shoulder to no effect. The commander continues down the line, stabbing each one in the shoulder with no reaction until reaching the eighth soldier, who cries out in pain. The commander shouts that they've got a live one, and the rest of the soldiers open fire on the eighth. Afterwards, they move out, and Pietro grabs some supplies from the body before burying it quite confused. Moving on, Pietro catches a radio transmission, although it sounds practically like gibberish. The message is, Seven. Five. Can you hear me? There is a hole shining in the holes between your eyelids. I have never been to Versailles before. I want to be loved. Nine. I am standing behind you now. Five. I am two of us, standing behind you now. The goddess eats the city in the sea. Nine. There's a hole in the floor with an answer waiting in it. Seven. Look, you're hatching. You're hatching. The message simply continues to loop. And let's ignore most of the text for now and just look at the numbers. Continually looping numbers. Seven, five, and nine. Or perhaps, five, seven, nine. 
We know SCP-579 is relevant to the overall proceedings, but not sure why. When Pietro turns over the radio looping the message, the transmission stops, and he sees the radio is damaged beyond repair. The plot thickens. While walking through a forest, Pietro comments on how far Site-19 actually is from the safe house, since he can't risk using a vehicle without being spotted. With the exclusion suit on, nothing can notice him, but something could come barreling through and collide with him unintentionally. He wonders why he's even going to Site-19, as rather than staying out of harm's way, he'll be jumping into the viper's nest. He concludes that, more than anything, he wants answers. Finally, he arrives at Site-19, which is surprisingly easy to get into with the exclusion suit and security in disrepair. Researchers are still working at the site, though, discussing how to achieve maximum human casualties, like it was what they've always been doing. Pietro comments that, looking at their eyes, it seemed like some sort of human spark was missing from them, and wonders if they're even alive. He logs into the Foundation database and pieces together a basic timeline of events before they released their Declaration of War on January 2nd, 2020. On December 16th, the O5 Council mark a project known as NUMA as being of special interest. Project NUMA was some sort of mass amnestization program focused on the collective human unconsciousness, also called the psychospace. The idea of the psychospace is that humanity shares certain structures in our unconscious minds, like instincts. Apparently, the Foundation managed some sort of breakthrough in mapping out this whole psychospace for humanity, but Pietro can't see the specifics as they're redacted. The next day, the O5 Council puts something to a vote, with a unanimous decision, and the Ethics Committee also completely agrees. Something tells me that doesn't happen too often, but Pietro can't even see what the vote was about. On December 19th, a series of now-redacted instructions were sent to all senior staff members and site directors across the Foundation. This is followed by a wave of both suicides and resignations, with Dr. Gears notably resigning from the organization. December 22nd sees a number of files sent out to all remaining senior staff and directors, with instructions to disseminate the files among the rest of their personnel. The files are accompanied by a message reading, Harden your hearts, and all suicides and resignations cease after the files are spread. On Christmas Day, all communications in and out of Foundation sites are blocked, and the majority of human and human-sympathetic anomalies are terminated. An assassination team is sent after Dr. Gears, but it's unclear if they were successful. On January 2nd, MTFs are sent to all exclusionary sites to execute all personnel, and then they declared war on humanity. Something clearly affected the O5 Council right after some sort of breakthrough in looking into humanity's unconscious minds. It's highly unlikely that what affected them was non-anomalous, and it was able to quickly spread through the Foundation. That part isn't too tricky to comprehend but it gets a bit more confusing when pondering what exactly this infection wants, and why they would specifically go to kill the exclusionary site personnel instead of bringing them on their side. 
Pietro, of course, is also quite confused, but finds more information about various anomalies the Foundation has unleashed. SCP-1370 is a robot containing an artificial intelligence that is invariably hostile to everyone it encounters, promising them doom and destruction, despite being utterly harmless. 1370 is put onto every television across the world, continually rambling about how he's going to soon take over the world. Pietro remarks that this one isn't too bad. What is pretty bad, though, is SCP-1048, the Builder Bear, who can create incredibly hostile and incredibly violent copies of itself out of any material it can find. Helicopter footage shows hordes of bears rushing through the streets of Paris, with a massive red teddy bear in the distance. SCP-1290 are two electronic devices capable of near-instantaneous teleportation between them. The problem is that objects undergoing teleportation retain their orientation and velocity relative to the Earth, meaning that objects arriving at the other end come out at around 930 meters per second. The devices aren't incredibly useful to the Foundation because of this, but were kept on opposite ends of the Earth, in Colombia and Singapore. During this debacle, the Foundation moved the devices to the Atlantic Ocean to use as a rudimentary projectile system. They began launching objects at a secure GOC facility called Ganzir, designed to house humanity's survivors in the case of the end of the world. Pietro surmises that 1290 was just one of a large number of anomalies the Foundation was using to try and break into Ganzir, and wonders why they wouldn't just use missiles. SCP-1440 is an old man that continually walks the Earth, and causes increasingly destructive events when nearby anything connected to humanity, unintentionally. He's normally not contained by the Foundation, as they have no means of containing him, so they transport him to a number of different refugee camps to cause rapid devastation. It's most startling to note that 1440 seemed to have no effect on the Foundation personnel assigned to transport him, suggesting that they are now decidedly inhuman. SCP-1678 is a full-scale reconstruction of the city of London, located a kilometer underneath London. It seems to have been built for some sort of -of end-of-the-world scenario, and the Foundation has been keeping tabs on it. After their declaration, the Foundation completely abandoned 1678, and eventually the British Occult Service directs citizens of London down underground, since the Foundation purposefully made evacuation of the city impossible. Once 1678 had reached its capacity with refugees from London, the Foundation detonated a nuclear weapon they had left behind in the underground city. Some files were deleted between this and the next entry, and Pietro says that it's been three months since his last entry. The files in that period have been deleted somehow, and even worse, Pietro himself has no memory of the last few months. He finds himself halfway across the country from Site-19, scars on his body that he doesn't recognize, a bandage wrapped around his head, and he's carrying a briefcase. The exclusion suit itself is not damaged, so he's not sure how he got injured, but he remarks that he wouldn't be surprised if he had accidentally walked off a cliff. He's not exactly sure what's in the briefcase, but he knows for sure that it isn't round. 
and he needs to get it to SCP-579. Pietro is carrying an SCP in that briefcase, in fact. SCP-055. I've mentioned this one before, primarily in my anti-memetics video, as 055 is pretty much the quintessential anti-memetic SCP. Anyone can view it and see exactly what it is, but the knowledge pretty much instantly leaks out of their heads. The only thing the Foundation really knows for sure is that the object in question isn't round. In other words, Pietro is carrying an unknown object, and wants to take it to another unknown object, 579. This exact scenario has occurred before, in SCP-2998, another subject I've covered in a video. In that ordeal, when a strange alien race took control of humanity, a Foundation agent takes 055 into 579's containment chamber, fitting a round peg into a square hole, as it were, which resets the timeline. Pietro seems to be heading to do this exact same maneuver, but isn't sure why. As he continues walking across the country, he remarks on how far the containment unit for 579 is from Site-19, and the only way he knows where it is at all is because of some documentation he has, which he isn't sure how he obtained. He's walked past thousands of corpses so far, including a child in a house he was scavenging from. He thought at first the child had just been shot in the head, but when he went to bury him, he saw hundreds of pale worms wriggling underneath the boy's skin. They poured out of the body as soon as he touched them, and they all had the boy's face, laughing as they scurried into a drain. Pietro decides not to bury anyone else, and struggles with continuing on his journey. He discovers that if he starts to get overwhelmed by his situation, all he has to do is open up the briefcase, and he suddenly finds himself miles ahead, feeling good about himself. 055 seems to be wiping out more than just knowledge about itself, but also entire blocks of time. Pietro finds a laptop in the corpse of a Foundation agent, half buried in the woods. He finds more info on some anomalies that the Foundation are using against humanity. SCP-2000 is a facility under Yellowstone Park, that can be used to recreate humanity in case of a disaster. The Foundation decides to trigger the eruption of Yellowstone, completely destroying SCP-2000 and blanketing most of the country in ash. This is interesting to note, as it means that the Foundation isn't just intent on wiping out the current crop of humanity and rebuilding it, but instead is intent on obliterating humanity completely. SCP-2200 is sort of a tricky SCP to summarize in a sentence or two, but basically it's a sword that causes victims killed with it to be recreated on an island in metal form. These metal copies retain their former memories and personalities, but don't need to eat, drink, or sleep. But they can still die in this form as well. The Foundation managed to mass-produce these swords, which teleport to individuals who are likely to use them, and the island where the metal copies appear is now overflowing, with living copies trapped under dead ones. Probably not the most effective strategy the Foundation has come up with, but there you go. 
SCP-2241 is a seven-year-old boy with fledgling reality bender abilities that the Foundation was previously studying, with the O5 Council interested in raising him as a useful tool. Seems they got their wish, as 2241 is now being used to wipe out refugee camps, and they're sending him over to the bunker at Ganzir, since they're still having trouble breaking in. SCP-2466 is an app on a smartphone that plays out like a battle from the Pokemon series of games, with the player fighting against a Mega Charizard X. The app compels residents of a specific town in California to carry out certain actions based on the Charizard's moves, which range from socially disruptive to violent or suicidal. This app was used by the Foundation for some time until it permanently crashed, presumably because there were no residents left in that town. Again, not incredibly effective overall. SCP-2639 are three individuals who somehow got trapped in a server running the video game Quake, and are able to manifest occasionally in the real world for a short time, carrying out a deathmatch that is capable of destroying structures and killing non-participants. Since the individuals can't die, possess heavy firepower, and are exceptionally bored, the Foundation had previously recruited them as an MTF, sent into extreme situations requiring the elimination of hostile non-human targets. The group of three were average teenagers, and really didn't want to harm anyone. In this situation, the Foundation sent them into survivor communities and opposing groups to kill everyone present, telling them that they were monsters that have escaped from containment. The three soon figured this wasn't the case, and after a short time, have ceased all hostile activities for the Foundation's behalf. Pietro makes a journal entry about sitting near a campfire in his suit with a group of GOC soldiers who don't know that he's there. He appreciates the company regardless. The GOC soldiers don't really seem to have anywhere to go at this point and are simply wandering. Pietro contemplated momentarily about asking them for help to get to 579, but thought better of it commenting that he's less of a tourist now, and more of a ghost. He does tap into a GOC database while hanging out near the soldiers, though, and retrieves an interview log from inside Ganzir. The interviewer is a commander with the GOC, Morrison, and the interviewee is a captured MTF agent, Ross. Morrison had captured the MTF when they were trying to sneak into the bunker, and so far none of them had spoken at all except for Ross. Ross says it's because they've met before, during a joint operation between the Foundation and the GOC a few years ago. When they caught the MTF, they had been trying to sneak in with a group of refugees. Upon being noticed, the MTF opened fire into the crowds before being captured. When asked if he thinks that's crazy, Ross simply laughs, saying that the GOC are crazy as well if they think they can do anything to stop the Foundation. When threatened with enhanced interrogation, implying torture, Ross laughs again and says they can do whatever they want, since he's not afraid, after realizing that you're not supposed to feel pain. Morrison asks what he means, and Ross hesitates, telling him that he wouldn't want him to say. Morrison responds that he does, but Ross says he wasn't talking to Morrison. 
Upon further pressuring, Ross acquiesces, but what he says is inaudible in the recording. The doctor present in the room tells him that he'll have to speak up, as the microphone only has so much gain. What Ross says next is removed from the record, but both Morrison and the doctor can be heard loudly screaming, with the sounds of wet cracks and rushing wind heard. Ross says they've done this to themselves, and he had warned them. He really liked them, so he was trying to be nice. He remarks that they fight in the light so you can die in the dark. This is a twist on a common Foundation motto, we die in the dark so you can live in the light. The log ends with Ross calling them disgusting, and Pietro notes that right after this, some emergency resulted in the destruction of Ganzir. The latter part of this interview log is pretty important, as it is very similar to another interview log, the one with SCP-682, the hard-to-destroy reptile. I haven't really talked about 682 much, but its primary feature of being practically impossible to destroy isn't really important here. What is important is its hatred of all life. In an interview log with 682, after it finished slaughtering some farmers, it's reluctant to speak. It mumbles something incomprehensible, so the doctor present remarks that the microphone only has so much gain, and it needs to be moved closer. While mauling the D-Class's body, who is tasked with moving the microphone, 682 is heard saying that they were disgusting. This connection isn't a coincidence, and we're definitely going to delve further into this later, but just take note of it for now. Pietro makes another entry, discussing how it's even harder to keep going, now that the GOC are pretty much wiped out, as there seems to be even less hope left now. Pietro stopped eating and drinking, since the suit can sustain him anyways, and the Foundation has been spreading any number of weird viruses across the globe. He's seen corpses in pretty much every condition imaginable, including walking around. He still occasionally opens the briefcase, but it isn't working as well as before, as he isn't jumping ahead as much, and doesn't feel as great afterwards. He ponders if he's growing numb to it, and wonders why he's even going to 579. We get info on a few more SCPs being used by the Foundation. SCP-3078 is a series of images that causes viewers to break out in uncontrollable laughter until dying by suffocation. The Church of the Broken God managed to get the internet back online, but the Foundation quickly spread thousands of copies of 3078 until the Church brought the internet back down again. 3179 is a highly intelligent liquid metal alien capable of expanding its mass, altering its form, and creating smaller entities that can act autonomously. It was originally found by a branch of the Church of the Broken God, who believed it to be sent by their deity, but after discovering it to be invariably hostile, they managed to contain it and hand it over to the Foundation. After being released, it sparked a bit of a civil war in the Church, as they're divided on whether or not it's actually their deity. Either way, it's now continually pumping out what are essentially Terminators. SCP-3199 are large, hostile humanoid entities that continually lay extremely durable eggs containing more of their species. They hunt live subjects around their hatchlings, liquefying internal organs and bones and feeding the corpses to their young. 
This one didn't require much creativity, as the Foundation has just been airdropping the eggs around the world. Pietro keeps moving, a bit slower than before as he's losing motivation. He's been seeing increasingly strange things in the world, including what he calls blinkers, which he's pretty sure were created by the Foundation somehow. They're statues of MTF soldiers with empty sockets for eyes, and arms carved into blades. If you look at them, nothing happens, but if you look away, they rapidly move and kill you. Somehow, the Foundation managed to turn MTF soldiers into copies of SCP-173. They don't kill Pietro when he stops looking at them, but they do stop when he is looking, so he figures eventually they'll start swinging just to try and hit him, so he avoids them. The other thing he's seen is a lot weirder, a person stretched out on the horizon like a bad Photoshop effect. The person's body was stretched from the ground up to the clouds, with gaps in space around its body like wings, and it just seemed to be floating. The Foundation seemed to be fighting this anomaly, and Pietro thinks about going to talk to them as they might not be affected by what's going on, but decides not to risk it. He leaves another journal entry lamenting that he saw a kid die today, and could have helped her, but didn't. We get our last couple of entries about anomalies the Foundation are using. SCP-4290 was a massive entity that had been sealed away 10,000 years ago, and then died 9,000 years ago due to malnutrition, making it effectively neutralized. The Foundation decided to take SCP-008, a virus that reanimates corpses as zombies, enhance it using SCP-914, the clockworks, and revive the entity. A group from the Serpent's Hand known as Kaijumancers tried to take it on, but the results are unknown and Pietro says that they should have gone with the rest of the Serpent's Hand when they detached the Wanderer's Library from this universe. SCP-4666, the Yule Man, is a rather horrific entity that stalks families during Christmas time, eventually murdering most of the family and abducting a child who is forced to make toys out of other children. The Foundation, of course, manages to use certain temporal anomalies so that it's Christmas every day which normally might be the topic of a Disney film, but in this case probably not. There are presumably more examples, but Pietro decides that nobody's ever going to read this anyways, and stops. He later comes across a teenage girl sitting at a makeshift fire in an abandoned jewelry store. He recognizes the ruby amulet hanging around the girl's neck as SCP-963, meaning that this is the one and only Dr. Bright. Pietro turns off the perception filter on the suit, startling Bright with his sudden appearance. Bright assumes that Pietro was sent here to kill him, but Pietro assures him that he managed to get away from the Foundation. Bright remarks that Pietro's face looks like a disaster and desperately needs sleep, despite Pietro's response that he's fine. Pietro sits across from Bright and tells him that he got lucky when this all started, managing to make it into the suit. Bright, of course, was a senior staff member, meaning that he received those files that the O5 Council sent out after making a discovery about the human psychospace. 
The first set of files were a series of instructions, which caused suicides and resignations, if you remember. But Dr. Bright can't remember the instructions because of the second set of files sent out. These were later sent out to all personnel, and Bright reveals that they were just a bunch of images of eggs, trees, and other religious stuff. It didn't mean anything to Bright, and he suspects that whatever effect they would have had was nullified by his amulet. Pietro believes that to mean it was some sort of mimetic agent, meaning an anomaly that affects someone's mind. But Bright disagrees, saying that he knows what a mimetic agent feels like, and this was different. It felt like he was supposed to be released from something, rather than something being forced on him. Basically, Bright doesn't know what's going on either. When Pietro tells him that he's going to 579, Bright says that there are easier ways to commit suicide, as not even he knows what 579 is, and he's a pretty big deal. Bright instead is heading towards SCP-1437, an endless hole that leads to an unknown number of parallel universes. Bright plans on throwing the amulet down the hole and seeing where he wakes up. The two wish each other luck and part ways. We'll dissect what this conversation means at the end. More files got deleted, and Pietro is now standing outside of the site containing SCP-579. He doesn't see any guards, and security seems to be completely down, as if the place has been abandoned for quite some time, despite it being supposedly an extremely high-priority facility. He's having difficulty breathing, and has a feeling of an impending end. As he walks closer, he feels like someone is pressing a gun against the back of his head, pushing him forward. He doesn't know what SCP-579 is, but he knows that it's looking at him. The next entry is quite a bit worse for Pietro, as the facility was not empty, but instead filled with blinkers, the SCP-173 copies. They can't see him, but have figured out that he's here, and are now slashing everything in sight. Pietro's leg gets gouged, and although they're not chasing him, they're headed towards 579's containment cell as well. Pietro makes it there first, sealing the door behind him as they start to slash through it. There are a number of instruments monitoring 579, but even without them, he knows that 579 is here because he can feel it. There's a hole in the floor that leads to 579, but it's not a direct drop as Pietro hoped that he could just throw the briefcase down. Instead, it looks like he's going to have to jump down the hole and throw the briefcase on the way down, inevitably resulting in his death. Pietro comments that he's realized he's not the detective in a detective story, but instead the murder victim. He dies for someone else's story, and the human race is going with him. He knows who is responsible for this destruction, and how, but he still doesn't know why. He ponders why this is happening. Why did the Foundation send out those files? Why did Ganzir fall? Why did he take this briefcase across the world? Why is he here? And why is he going to die? He begs anyone reading this to figure it out, and then he drops down the hole. We see a black image labeled as SCP-579, and then a final journal entry reading... Oh, so that's how it is, before Pietro's life signs are lost. 
This is when he appeared dead in the suit inside of the 579 containment cell. I've already explained what happened there, bringing 055 and 579 together to reset the timeline, but it's finally time to explain why. There are clues sprinkled throughout this entire article that we can piece together, but the black image at the end is a big one. Hidden in the image is a secret dialogue between two members of the O5 Council. One is looking at a document with shaking hands, asking if this is confirmed. The other nods, saying that they got the report from Numa staff yesterday. It's everyone, even the Council. The first overseer notes his incredulity at finding himself agreeing with that damn lizard. They'll have to disseminate a cure among personnel before they get things underway, because it'll try to stop them otherwise. The other overseer asks God to help them, but the first rebukes him, saying that that's it talking. We know the lizard referenced is 682, who is critical to this piece, but what they're referring to as it is a bit more nebulous. Let's go back to Project Numa, which discovered something rather startling in the human psychospace. This means that they found something intrinsically present in the unconscious minds of every human, and it was startling enough to cause the Foundation to want to wipe out humanity. What's more, this discovery led the O5 Council to agree with SCP-682, who despises all life. The Council spread a series of instructions to their senior staff members, which we don't get to know about, but it did lead many of them to kill themselves or resign. This likely means that they were informed of what was about to happen to the world, but weren't mentally altered just yet. This happened with the second set of files, which were spread across most of the Foundation, immediately ceasing all suicides and resignations, because now everyone was fully committed to wiping out humanity. While some would believe this to be a mimetic agent that forcibly altered the Foundation's thinking, Bright confirms that it was not. In other words, instead of planting new code into a person's brain, whatever was in the second set of files released something in their brains, allowing them to see what was in the psychospace that makes humanity disgusting. Essentially, what they were released from was humanity, becoming outsiders like 682. This process involved a completely different way of thinking on multiple levels as for one, they no longer felt pain, as shown in the stabbing test, and two, they were no longer considered part of humanity, as shown by SCP-1440, which destroys anything nearby connected to humanity. Dr. Bright wasn't affected by the second set of files because of his amulet, making him immortal, which already disconnects him from humanity. It's interesting that the project that discovered all this was known as Numa which is an ancient Greek word meaning breath, but is also used in religious context to mean spirit or soul. Pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit, an aspect of God that makes up the Holy Trinity. The it referred to before by the O5s could be the human soul, an essential part of what makes us human. The researchers that Pietro came across in Site-19 were missing a spark from their eyes, perhaps suggesting that they no longer possessed a soul. It's also interesting that the GOC's fortress was named Ganzir, 
after a palace in the Sumerian underworld where the goddess Ereshkigal ruled over the dead. Those that still had souls, the refugees, were allowed to enter Ganzir, but those without them, the Foundation agents, relentlessly worked to break in. Ganzir finally fell because the soulless came inside. Perhaps the stretched figure that the Foundation was fighting was indeed the Holy Spirit, who helped guide Pietro towards the end goal so that humanity could be saved. Perhaps I'm overthinking things, but since the theme of the SCP-5000 contest was mystery, it's fitting that the winner would be so incredibly mysterious. Regardless of what it all means, SCP-5000 is a fascinating tale of one man wandering like a ghost through the end of the world as the SCP Foundation tears it apart. In the end, maybe it doesn't really matter to find all the answers to the question why, as there will always be more questions. One of those questions might be, if this all happened once, why can't it happen again?